Hello and welcome back to the Redundant Rufus Podcast. I'm so excited to be back here today. It's been a few weeks. Well, now I'm back. So, with that uh, glorious introduction being uh, delivered to you right now, this chapter 14 of my podcast series is entitled Reflections from a Recovering Gamer. Let's get into it. My first exposure to video games was when I was four. A four-year-old coming across a Nintendo Entertainment System. I believe it was a Christmas gift for the family. And that was a time when video games were, you know, they had been around for a, a number of years. But Nintendo really amped up the, the challenge for uh, competitors to really, you know, make some engaging and fun uh, gaming material. The first game that we got with this console was Super Mario Brothers. I would think that was most people's first exposure or experience with Nintendo was Super Mario Brothers. And that has proven true for decades now because of all of the many different variations and sequels and now the film and then the cartoon from the 90s which we don't talk about lots of content revolving around super mario but i remember as a four-year-old playing super mario brothers and being so invested so enveloped by this experience because for anyone at the time video games were not a commodity so to speak sure it a number of people had some gaming console in their home, but it wasn't as popular. It was kind of like a niche group of people. Now, not to say that people wouldn't go to arcades. I mean, I went to arcades for many years, and I get into that later. But uh, Super Mario was just such a groundbreaking and revolutionary game. And when I was playing it, I don't recall ever having trouble with the controls, with the, the objectives, what to do. And I just enjoyed playing it through and through. And, and I remember finding the Easter eggs, you know, or rather all those little, I say Easter eggs, all those hidden places, those, you know, the one-ups that you find. And the, the one-up from World 1-1 took me a long time to find. Like, people would say it's there, but it really wasn't until the advent of YouTube and I saw it on there. I'm like, wait a minute. All these years, I went right by that spot where the one-up is, but playing Super Mario Brothers really got me into gaming. I believe at the same time, or not long after, we got that, uh, it was like a running pad. It had a number of circles where people could stand on it and run or, or act like they're jumping. So it, it was in connection with this, I think it was an Olympics video game. And I remember my siblings and I each taking a spot and running on the pad and seeing the little guy like do the like the huge leap or doing the big race. And that was so it was just it was just so fun. So many happy memories playing video games as a kid. But other games, I remember Castlevania, Dungeons and Dragons, um, what was that one? Contra, codenamed Viper. I think that was the name of it. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, the Legend of Zelda. I remember Zelda. That was a fun game. I never got into it as I got older, but at the time I, I really enjoyed playing it. And the thing that is common knowledge, the games were much more difficult than they are now. There weren't, there wasn't much wiggle room to get through a level. There was a strict linear path you had to follow in order to beat the game. You know, the, again, there was no workarounds like there is now. 
but I recall playing games like Zelda, for example. I was terrible at that game for some reason. And Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was another one where I just was... <clears throat> I just, like, couldn't get it. I couldn't understand, you know, the, the objectives. They weren't as clear to me as other games I had played. But with, uh, with Nintendo, in the mid-90s, I recall getting a Game Boy Pocket. And the Game Boy had been out for some time. But the Game Boy Pocket was another revolutionary thing because it was obviously smaller, implied in the name. It uh, could fit in your pocket. I remember it was red. And I, I don't remember how many games, but of course I had Super Mario. Of course I had that game. It's just a must with any uh, version of Nintendo. You have to have at least one Mario game uh, in your, um, your library. And it got to the point where I had to start buying my own batteries because I was playing so much. And it was around that time, or just before I got the Game Boy Pocket, our Nintendo Entertainment System busted. And just like any uh, console that requires a cartridge, you have to blow in the the, uh, the game cartridge, you have to blow inside the, inside the console, turn it off, turn it back on, or reset, and then it'll work, <laughs> and it'll work again. Uh, times have changed. Then our TV was really old and that busted, so there was no way of playing any console on our television. So I had my Game Boy Pocket, and then for a brief time, I had it was like this. It was like a this headset, and in front of you was this clear screen, and what it would do is the screen inside the headset reflected off the glass, so it was kind of like it was streaming through this uh, little uh, glass apparatus and you play your game i remember i had star wars and a batman game and it was pretty fun it was at the time 30 dollars in the mid late 90s and i remember saving up my money my allowance money to get that the first thing i actually saved up money for was this small gaming uh, application or, or console but i kind of had a lull like i had my game boy pocket but again i had to buy my own battery so they were i had periods of time where I couldn't play it. But in 1998, my whole gaming world completely changed. I played as much as I could or was able to with my Nintendo and Game Boy and the VR headset thing. But PlayStation, that was the big fix in my addiction. I had to... I played it so much. So much. It interfered with my studies. It interfered being more sociable. I mean, introverts sometimes were forced to be or compelled to be social, but I just was even more of a hermit, so to speak. I just lived and breathed gaming. And I'll get into that later as well, some of the reasons for that. But gaming was incredibly important to me, and PlayStation was just this new avenue, and I still only buy PlayStation. Nothing against any other console. PlayStation is just my preference. And PC. Uh, later in life, I've become more of a PC gamer, but that's neither here nor there. So my brother got the PlayStation 1 and with it, the Resident Evil 2 and a strategy guide. Now I remember getting these strategy guides were really big because it gave you the inside knowledge about the game, some helpful walkthroughs, especially with the puzzles and Resident Evil is infamous for its complicated oftentimes and tedious puzzles. But uh, I remember he got that. We were watching the intro cutscene. You know, Leon and Claire, if you're not familiar with the game, it's it takes place in the late 90s in this fictional Midwest city. There's a viral outbreak that turns people into zombies. 
And so this rookie cop who's going in for his first day comes across this young woman who's looking for her brother who works at this police department in what's called Raccoon City where this rookie, Leon, is going to, to start work. But they come across these zombies and they get separated and both of them have their own paths or scenarios progressing through the game and occasionally their paths intertwine. But the atmosphere... The ambiance, the the music, and just the horror of it all was just so captivating. I remember I'd watch my brother play the game, and eventually he let me play a little bit. It was different from a Nintendo, going from, well, the Nintendo, the original, to a Game Boy Pocket, to a PlayStation. Games aren't as simplistic in their design and execution, there's more options for you because you have more buttons. Resident Evil 2 was such, uh, not just a revolutionary game for the industry, but just it set a new standard for survival horror and just role-playing games in general and having a good story attached to your game so that you, the player feels as if they're taking part in this film. That led to my brother buying some other games and eventually... I think he sold it, and for my birthday, not long after, my parents got me a PlayStation 1 console. And a funny story about that. So when I got my own PlayStation 1 console for my birthday, my entire birthday, I was thinking about the following day because my report card was coming, and I knew the, the, the terrible grades that would be on there and that my PlayStation would be taken away for a while. And it was. My report card was uh, subpar, to say the least, my PlayStation was taken away for a couple weeks. So I took as much time as was permitted to me on my birthday using my PlayStation because I knew it would be my last time for several weeks. Progressing after that, after my time of punishment, I remember getting the, my first official video game. Now, take a step back. The PlayStation 1 consoles, one of the great enticing things about them was that it came with a free demo disc. And it would have, I think it was 16 games where some were just like game trailers, but others you could actually play through like the first level of a given game. Like Parappa the Rapper, was I loved playing that game. I think Spyro the Dragon was on there, but Cool Borders, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Armored Core, Colony Wars, which I still own because I just love that game. And uh, among other ones. Oh, Brave Fencer Musashi, that was fun. So my very first game I bought was Metal Gear Solid. That game was comparable to Resident Evil 2 in just the story and the player feeling like you're contributing to the creation of this film or this story executing it. And the voice acting was considerably better than Resident Evil 2. It was such a fun and immersive game. It was about espionage and you're, you're this spy trying to stop these terrorists from launching a nuke. And it's in Alaska, so it's very cold, and just the atmosphere is just very um, daunting. It's just, of course, very you know frigid, and you can just see even from Resident Evil 2 to Metal Gear Solid, in each subsequent game, you can tell developers and designers were learning from each other, and there were just these enhanced details or effects, better voice acting that was coming across, and and that stayed true today. Voice acting is a very lucrative industry, I guess you could call it an industry, and it was in its infancy. 
in the sense of you know creating these more mature games mature storylines and it's really come a long way but after that i bought a bunch of games like 16 or so now that was based off of mainly me buying them at the time i worked if you well if you look at my one of my earlier podcast episodes i flipped burgers and a lot of that money went to buying games now being a gamer at the time I knew how to be frugal. I was very conservative with my spending. And so I, at least, maybe I wasn't a full-fledged gaming addict because I actually like to save my money and uh, I didn't just frivolously spend it on, on games. I could have. I could have tripled my gaming library if I chose to. But regardless, it, it kind of led me, since I was more stringent on paying for games, it helped me be a little more to scrutinize games a bit more. The demo discs helped with the PlayStation 1 console, just kind of field games out there. I think I subscribed to a gaming magazine for a bit. And the internet was kind of ballooning, you know, being able to go to these gaming websites and check things out. So I became very, I guess you could say analytical, and just very just scrutinizing heavily on games. That if I'm going to spend my money on a game, I want to make sure that it's a game I'm going to keep. Because selling a game, you know, reselling it wasn't exactly on my mind. Like if I got a game, it means I'm going to play it over and over again. And that's true to this day. But my PlayStation 1 console I had for several years and my brother who had the, the first console he was living with us for a bit and the PlayStation 2 console came out so we ended up buying in on that together. That was difficult. Difficult because I had to sell my PlayStation 1 like 16 games. I had memory cards, I had a Game Shark, I had several controllers, I had memory cards, strategy guides, like I had collected a lot over a few years. At the end, it was worth getting the PlayStation 2 console. At the same time, I learned how incredibly ridiculous the trade-in value is at gaming stores. Now, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole nother topic. But needless to say, I got very little money out of everything I, pre I just listed. I thought I would have gotten a little bit more, but everything amounted to a very small number. And it was very aggravating. But I wanted this console, I was just a teenager, and so I was like, well, you know, it's a worthwhile sacrifice, and I'll get over it. Well, I really haven't too, too much, because there's some games that now you can buy them on eBay for hundreds of dollars, and if I hadn't have sold mine, I wouldn't have to spend that much money on it. But anyway, the PlayStation 2 console was another revolutionary console. Of course, learned from the, the, uh, the mistakes, the successes from the previous one, and my brother, the first game that we got was Devil May Cry. That was a fun game, and I still have the um, like the remastered HD one. I play it from time to time. It's still very fun. The, the graphics are still pretty good for being, you know, what, over 20 years old now. Or 20 years ago. And PlayStation 2 opened up an, another inventory or library of, uh, of games. Uh, I think Metal Gear Solid successor was, or sequel was Sons of Liberty, which was a which was a good game, but the story was kind of all over the place and kind of outlandish in some things. But uh, that I had that for a bit, and around the same time, I was gifted a Game Boy Advanced. I really wish I didn't sell that. I didn't have many games, but I really wish I didn't sell it because it was very enjoyable, and I know I would have gotten use of it today. 
but my PlayStation 2, I eventually just gave it to my brother because I decided to serve a proselyting mission and I couldn't take it with me. I can't remember coming home afterwards and bought a new one. And, or no, no, I didn't buy a new one. I just had my Game Boy Advanced and I was gifted a PlayStation 3 from a good friend of mine. And he had preloaded a bunch of games, like 20 or so on there. Like, And I was, that was very, very kind of him. And so that exposed me to a lot of different games for PlayStation 3. And eventually I got PlayStation Vita, which uh, it was in its infancy. So the gaming library wasn't very vast. So I just sold it and uh, used that money to get a PlayStation 4. And now I'm trying to think of a convincing reason to get a PlayStation 5. Anyway, that's just a very abbreviated history of my exposure to games now. This is called Reflections from a Recovering Gamer. From a teenager, or as a teenager, I was incredibly addicted to video games. Again, I was pretty frugal about how much I acquired, but what I did play, I would play all the time over and over again. And it was a coping mechanism, and it was a distraction. It was an escape, and it still is an escape for me. I still think of it as one, and just a, a good, you know, oftentimes it's just a distraction. But I played too much. It affected my personality. It affected my grades in school. School wasn't a very pleasant experience for me as a teenager. My excuse for gaming so much was that it just distracted me. There were other very good, viable, and better distractions that I could have engaged in or utilized, but I didn't. And in hindsight, I wish that I did because it would have been better for my personality, my demeanor, overall happiness. I I know there's arguments that talk about not liking gaming, what it does, the benefits of gaming. All I can give is just my experience and my opinion on it. It's like anything. It's any hobby or habit or talent, if you will. It's something that's best done in moderation. Now, if it's your livelihood, if you have channels set up covering games and the industry and things like that, like that's a different story. Just as a, you know, outside of your job and education and family, just having a a good distraction, just playing a game, relaxing, like I find nothing wrong with that. But like anything, if it consumes your life, if it takes over priorities, if you use it as a convenient excuse to not uh, fulfill obligations that you have or to be a better you, then yeah, I think that means it's a problem. Now, not just focusing on gaming or picking that out, There's, again, anything in our lives we have to examine, get some serious introspection done to determine what's holding me back from my true potential. For me, at the time, gaming was holding me back. It was a moment where I feel like throughout the progression of my life, I was taking a step forward, but gaming was taking me two steps back. A big help or aid that uh, allowed me to get past my addiction was was serving a proselyting mission. Now that helped to redirect me, reorient me to what was more important to myself. That didn't com- that didn't mean I was this completely new individual. I had changed in a lot of beneficial ways, and that's something I can talk about in a different podcast. But as far as gaming, I realized it's something I enjoy, but it needs to be put under control. There's the financial aspect, and there's also the emotional and psychological aspects of gaming 
that I feel can be detrimental, but we're all different and we manage our stresses, we manage our angst, our, our, our grief, or what have you, in different ways. And so my way isn't going to be as resounding or you know welcoming by all, and that's not my intention. I just realized I needed to put this addiction under control. I have my lapses, of course, where there are brief stints where I feel like I play too much, but in hindsight, I really don't. I can't. I used to have fun all-nighters with my friends playing uh, Halo. And speaking of which, I was very grateful when Microsoft allowed PC gamers like myself to acquire the entire series. And that's what I did. And it was very rewarding because I had waited years to be able to... I mean, it wasn't something I would lay in my my pillow and just dream about playing Halo. It was just one of those moments where I was like, yes, it's been a long time and I'm happy I can play it now. I'm in my 30s, but hey, I can play, you know, the full thing of Halo now. But anyway, going back, my friends and I would play Halo from about 8 p.m. until 8 a.m., maybe 9 in in the morning. I was a much younger man then and could handle that. And I do recall we waited out outside of a gaming store till mid uh, when was it? I think midnight waiting for Halo 2. Now I didn't have an Xbox console, but we were all going to play it after, and so that's what we did. We just had like three different TVs and we uh, had our Mountain Dew and you know, we had fun. And those are those are cherished memories being able to, you know, have, you know, the, those experiences of, you know, being up all night with friends and playing games. I can't do that anymore. After, at most, two hours, I get a headache, my neck gets sore, I'm like, I have to stop. I, I just, it's just something I don't like pushing myself that far. And, uh, well, anyway, I was happy to have, you know, the experiences of growth, being able to overcome this, uh, the, the addiction that I had. Now, I'm hoping that what I've said has has resounded in some of your ears. Maybe some of you just aren't into gaming. That's totally fine. There's other better hobbies, if you will, out there, you know, like walking outside the door during Mother Nature, kind of a thing. It's overrated. But anything that brings out the best in you, gravitate towards Gravitate towards those things that'll better your skill set, your abilities, your talents. And if it's gaming, well, take advantage of that. Learn skills, you know, become a designer or developer. Review games, like do things that you enjoy that you know, and there's going to be people out there that will that will resonate to your message or to what you have to say, to your opinion. Not everyone's going to agree with it. That's part of the game. It's a learning process. Like me with podcasting, I wouldn't call myself a you know a gold star podcaster but it's something that i'm learning and i've made mistakes along the way but it's something that i enjoy i'm trying to make it a good hobby a good healthy hobby anyway with that being said i thank you for listening this has been very cathartic thinking about the games and consoles that i used to have and the memories but also the satisfaction of being able to overcome an obstacle and and making one of my weaknesses a strength and being able to still enjoy gaming, but recognizing there's other things in life that, you know, also should require a good amount of my time. And uh, with that being said, I thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you later.